If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual. My boy and producer, Marcus. What's up, Dab Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxime. Hey. Boys, I can tell from your voice you are feeling kind of that same malaise I am. The world is not right today. Now, I am fired up to say, look, we're welcoming in Kate Scott for the first time to help us find a little optimism in this post-Clay injury world. And I can't wait. I'm really excited to have her as a guest. But I had to talk to you boys beforehand because I'm going to be turning to Kate for some optimism, for some ways we can kind of move on. But if I'm being honest, I can't just move on immediately. Like, I, I need to wallow in this. I need to feel sorry for myself. I need to be pissy for at least five minutes. So I brought you guys on early so that we could kind of do it together thank you yeah misery loves company exactly uh here let me just say this fuck you 2020 fuck you so many times fuck you a thousand times fuck you on every level from sports to politics to just everything fuck you i mean i was so excited for last night boys after oh. a full year of just nothing you know what i mean like just nothing a terrible team we were looking forward to a single moment it was last night, and at 2.30 p.m., I'm cracking open a beer. I'm starting up a tailgate for the draft. I'm doing last-minute research to figure out who my title contending team is going to add with the two-pick. And then 40 minutes later, I'm reading a tweet from Shams saying that uh, Clay has a lower leg injury. There wasn't even any detail. They didn't even tell us which leg or where it was. Panic starts. My whole night was ruined. Uh, how did you guys deal with it? I panicked, too. I mean... It's the last thing you want to hear. I mean, you were hoping it was a minor injury, but it did, then the players started talking about it and everybody started saying, you know, prayers up immediately. And we were just like, oh, that can't be good because, you know, he was playing with NBA players and scrimmaging with them. So they're going to be texting each other and they kind of know if they were there and they're, you know, sending the word around to the players of how bad it looked. It just kind of it, it didn't sound right and it didn't feel good. Did you boys ever really believe it was minor? 
So I mean, I, I hear it and I immediately am like, uh, hopefully high ankle sprain, hopefully it's nothing. But in that initial tweet, I think the line testing for severity was used. And the second that was thrown out there, I mean, I, I didn't say it out loud, but internally I was like, F, you know, like this, it's, it's, it's severe. Um, even before the MRI came back today, I had already kind of assumed the worst. Yeah, when I, when I was following, shout out to Monty Poole, um, previous guest and, you know, great reporter. And he tweeted that he had exchanged texts with Michael Thompson, Clay Thompson's dad, and that he's usually upbeat. And even after Clay's ACL injury, Michael was like, oh, it's going to be fine. He's going to come back better than ever and was still upbeat. And that this time he was like, it's not good. And he was pretty you know, sober and somber. So that kind of threw me off and I was like, oh man, this might be serious. This will give you a sense of my mental state. So, you know, Monty, friend of the podcast, man, I'm a huge fan of his work. I hope to have him back as a guest immediately. I read that same tweet and when I read it, I immediately said out loud, what do you know, Monty? You don't know if he's positive or not. You, maybe he just had a bad day. Maybe he was, he was texting you from the DMV. Like I, I was in such deep denial um, and it didn't make it any worse that like I got a thousand text messages immediately that all had the same tone as if I had just lost a family member. And like, I, I know people are trying to make me feel better and I appreciate it, but honestly receiving like 50,000 condolences texts in the space of like five minutes doesn't make you feel any better. It like, it just made me feel worse. Like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't like that. It, 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 this entire scenario, I just don't like boys. Yeah, it's rough. You feel so bad because, you know, he was working hard. He he loves to play and he sat out the entire season. You know, he's ready to go. You see the clips of him working out and um, he's just excited to be back and he just, you know, in a scrimmage, he's probably like, I'm going to get in, you know, a few games before the draft and see who we get and going to go watch the game and, you know, like text with Steph and Dre and the rest of the team. And it just happens. And it's just, it's brutal, man. It's brutal. I remember texting you right after um, you and Maxime. And I was like, you know, and this is a harsh take. So when we can talk about it later with um, Cater or whoever else, but you know, there's been a, a bunch of injuries on Rick Celebrini's watch and it's unfair to him. Like I was saying to you guys, he's smart and, you know, respected. And then it's too harsh to pin it all on him, especially stuff that's out of his control. But ever since Chelsea Lane has left, there's just been a rash of injuries. And I just, it makes me wish just for karmic pur purposes only that we would have kept her. The woman with the popped collar. And I love the move you just pulled. That's like the big media move. Um, I remember somebody interviewing Mike Tyson, and I don't remember the take they gave to him, but it was something like some media members say that you can't control your emotions. And they tried to bring it up without it being them bringing it up. I love them to you that you're like, yeah, we can't really blame this new trainer at all. Very clearly not their fault. But it's weird that there's been hell of injuries on their watch. Today. I mean, here's why it sucked. It sucks for a thousand reasons you know I mean, it sucks personally it sucks for clay it sucks for the league clay is an all-world player he makes the greatest point guard on earth better he makes the nba more entertaining he makes fucking scaffolds safer he's now gonna he's, he's missing two years of his prime of his mid prime you know like that's these are devastating facts now the, the year isn't over 
There's reasons to be optimistic. Next year should be more successful than anything that happened last year. In fact, anything that happened before 2007. You know, our life isn't over. There's reasons to continue to be excited for the 2021 season, but it did suck ass that it happened. Maxine, let me fire this off towards you. Do we want to know who did this? So like if this was in a scrimmage, and I don't know that for sure, but if there was other people involved and somebody was at fault, he came down on their ankle, they pushed him, something like that. Do you want to know who that person is so we can hate them forever? Or is it better just for it to be like this amorphous thing and we just kind of move on? Mm, Well, there were reports that Jordan Bell was there. uh, And I'm certainly not pointing the finger at all at anybody. (laughs) The media move again. Nicely done, (laughs) Maxine. Yes. No, this is why I don't want to know, right? If it's somebody like Jordan Bell, like I, I, I don't want to have ill will towards him. You know, it's like it's easy to think like I already have ill will towards Danny Green, you know, thanks to that awful closeout that caused the ACL injury a year ago. But, I, you know, I don't want to have that ill will towards somebody else because it could be something that I, that I like right now. I just I don't know. I keep I keep flashing to all of the days that I've seen in the past year of Clay sitting on the bench in a suit. Like I feel like most people when they're injured for a whole year don't show up that hard for their team. You know, and that's just like, that's what's so gutting to me about this whole thing. Um, So, yeah, I just like, I don't, I don't want to continue to think about how other people are implicated in it. You know, Um, it just, it makes it more visceral and real for me in a way that is uh, more uncomfortable. And I'm, I hate this feeling. I I think like for Achilles injuries too, like normally, I, I don't know how it went down, but normally it's usually the players making a move by themselves. Right. And they always look back and look back at somebody and say, why did you kick me? Mm. You know, or who, who hit my foot? Like, or it's always something where it's usually the player by themselves. It's not like they were up in the air and landed funny. And, you know, if you land on somebody's foot, you usually hurt your ankle and twist it into high ankle sprain, you know, to varying degrees. Like Achilles are usually, um, he's made a move and just something popped and he, kind of looked around but it wasn't anybody's fault okay never mind i want to know who it is because i'm not blaming this on clay yeah i mean we're talking that this is the symptomatology not the causation right when somebody pops an achilles we're talking about what they feel and they look back um and we're gonna have our uh, dr kyle f chung in in the coming weeks to figure out the specifics of the injury and what's there Uh, but first let me just nail down some logistics because i have a list going of people i need to hate forever so number one is the trainer of the golden state warriors currently number two is jordan bell anybody else that i should put on here or (laughs) No. Um, Danny Green. I think he kind of started all this off. Danny Green. Exactly right. Uh, All right. Well, look, um, I think if it is possible and I desperately need your help, this is one of those do as I say, not as I do moments. But we have to turn the page. There is nothing, unless somebody invents a time machine between now and the beginning of the 2021 season, there's nothing we can do to go back to a time when Clay was going to come play with us this year. I remember how sexy it was. I remember it was less than 24 hours ago. I remember the team we all hoped that we would be rooting for. I remember the aspirations for the year. That all has to take at least a one-year hiatus. So let's agree as a podcast, as a fan base, as a group of people to try to turn the page on this thing and be as optimistic as we possibly can and enjoy next year. And boys, 
throughout the year, as I continue to bitch and don't follow any of the advice <laughs> I just dropped into this mic, I'm going to need your help. I need like, like an electric dog collar, something. You have to keep me on the positive track because I can't spend another 52 weeks being pissy about this. I just can't. Yeah. Well, there's some optimism out there. I mean, maybe we should save it for when Kate joins, but there's some things, some bright sides. If there's any silver linings, we're, we're finding a few of them as more news comes out. So Excellent. Well, hold on to those. Let's explore them in great detail. Uh, and with that as a perfect transition, let's welcome Kate in. Okay, boys, enough feeling sorry for ourselves. It is my pleasure. In fact, I couldn't be more fired up to announce that joining us for the first time, a California native and high-profile member of the Bay Area sports media, where she's developed an expertise in the Warriors and all things sports, a member of the Pac-12 Network, where she's covered football, soccer, basketball, and softball, a sports broadcaster who Brian Murphy once described as, quote, prepared, disciplined, diligent, and focused, and the current host of the Morning Roast on 95.7 The Game, Miss Kate Scott. What's going on, Kate? What's up, guys? It's great to chat with you. And I'm right there in you that in the depression today. So, so we can keep wallowing. We can go back and forth because I understand it's that kind of a day. We need it. I really appreciate it. Um, this is kind of like meeting a, like somebody for the first time at a funeral. You know, like I'm excited to meet you, totally. but it's just what a weird thing. Um, and let me say this because I'll resent you for it if I don't get it off my chest. No one has ever called me prepared, disciplined, diligent, or focused about anything. <laughs> and so when I read that, I was a little resentful. Okay, I'm just going to say it. You have so many platitudes out there. I was impressed. Oh, thank you. I, I might have paid Murph off for that. I might have done like some babysitting or something. <laughs> Everything comes at a price, even compliments. (laughs) Worth every penny. Murph, if you're listening, I will babysit in a heartbeat. Um, Kate, I've got a bunch of stuff about the Warriors. We need some optimism here. Maybe we need some wallowing too, but it's your first time and I'd be crazy not to ask some questions about you. And let me start here. Give us a sense of your personality. So I'll, I'll go first. I find out about Clay and I go pissy immediately, Kate. I mean, just immediately. I've, I've been, I had trouble sleeping last night. I was, uh, my wife and I have Warriors tickets, but she's not really a Warriors fan. She's aware of them, but she doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. And the Clay news gets announced and she asks me just, you know, because we had to deal with the logistics of the evening. What do you want for dinner? And I'm such a piece of shit, Kate, that I, I think I said, how can I eat? Who cares? You know I mean? Just like this really ugly back and forth. So for you, do you, are you a wallower? Are you like, are you a glasses half full person? Give us a sense. Ooh, I, I'm usually both. I, I, I waffle or waffle or uh, I, I went through the range of emotions. I usually go through like the five stages of grief very quickly and then end in anger like you did. Um, I got the news yesterday just as I was leaving the grocery store, like put the, put the groceries in the trunk, sit down. And because it was such a big day, I just was like, I'm sure something happened in the 15 minutes I was in the grocery store. So let me look at Twitter, see if anything (laughs) broke. And then I see the claim news. And my immediate first response is empathy, just because, oh, man, here's this guy who's worked so hard to come back from the ACL. And he's such a joy to watch play, right? So my immediate reaction was, oh, I just feel so bad for Clay because um, it, it wasn't anything close to that, but I tore my meniscus years ago. And it's difficult coming back from any injury, let alone an ACL, um, trying to get to professional 
form again. I did it in high school, so completely different thing. And then to have another just horrific injury right when you get back, right when you can taste the thing you love so much, um, to have it taken away from you again. So that was my initial reaction, just empathy and sadness for Clay. But Bram, I'm right there with you. I got, I got home and it's a couple minutes before the draft. So kind of looking at my phone, seeing if there's been any more updates on Clay. And my wife is wanting to tell me about our retirement account. And she's put, she's put in a lot of work. <laughs> and she's like, I just wanted to let you know that we've changed, you know, the, the deduction from 5% to 10%. I was like, babe, 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 I can't talk right now. Clay Thompson might've torn another ACL or might've done an Achilles. The draft starts in five minutes. Just, just give me a second. And she looks at me like, Really? After all this work I put in, <laughs> that's your reaction? So I, I'm right there with you. I, I went from sad uh, and, and, and concerned for Clay to very upset, to lashing out at the people I love the most. Um, and, and now today I'm kind of in the acceptance. I'm trying to come to terms with it because I know that there's, as, as I know we'll get into, so many silver linings. But just really sad for Clay and for his teammates because I know that everybody, we were all so excited to see this joyous player back with us in 2020. That's exactly right. And it had to happen on transition day for lack of a better way to phrase it. You know, we had just suffered through that last year, but, but the draft was happening. We were less than an hour away from kind of turning the page on 2020 and starting to focus on 2021. And it just was what it was. Uh, and those five stages of grief, gosh, you're right. And I stuck on denial for a while, Kate. I mean, I, I, was, I was getting, you know, texts from people saying, hey, you know, my condolences, blah, blah, blah. And I'm firing things back like, you don't know. He might be fine. We have no idea what even portion of the leg it was. So, uh, yeah, we, we shared a reaction. This is, is, you know, making me kind of depressed. Let me ask you a different background question. I know you are a California Navis. Uh, in fact, I know you went to Clovis High School. Did you grow up a Warriors fan? I did grow up a Warriors fan, um, although there wasn't much to cheer about for the Warriors <laughs> when it comes to our childhood, right? Nothing. Um, there was nothing to cheer about from what I can remember. I mean, it was, there was run TMC, like there was We Believe, but it was it was mostly college basketball for me, actually. So as you mentioned, grew up in the Central Valley and depending on who your parents cheered for, it was kind of like you were born into either a Southern California or a sure. Northern California fandom. And thankfully, my dad raised me right. Um, and he was a fan of all the Bay Area sports teams. So Giants, 49ers, uh, and Golden State Warriors. But for the most part, I was actually a Fresno State basketball fan when I was growing up because I was there when Jerry Tarkanian and the madness was sure. going in Fresno. So it was really fun college basketball. We weren't sure it was legal or if players we were getting were legally in Fresno, but they were sure a lot of fun to cheer for. Um, but, but yeah, the Warriors were my team as far as professionally growing up. Paul George, whom I remember, who came out of Fresno State during that time? Yep. Paul George. I want to say, was there a Ray for Alston? Um, Chris Herring for a little bit, but not... Not too many guys made it at the next level. Um, yeah. Yeah, Paul George is the big one out of Fresno. And you can't say this. I will say it. This is not Kate only me. But if it was the Shark who was recruiting them, I'm pretty sure we know whether or not they were there by legitimate <laughs> means. But uh, we won't go too far into it. As it's far as game tribe. <laughs> and, and you mentioned TMC. What a perfect glittering example of the lack of success they had when we were growing up. I look back on that era, Kate, and like that was my favorite team. You know, I had like posters. I was a huge Chris Mullen guy because I was kind of a slow white guy growing up. So I associated with them. But when you look back, they never got out of like the second round, you know? So my sense of success uh, has changed a little bit now that we have Lakeup with us. Um, but this was all just a setup to this question. So when you look back, are, are there favorite players? I mean, who is your favorite warrior of all time, if you don't mind my asking? And then if you are neurotic like I am, you may also have a least favorite warrior. Uh, and I'm interested in both. 
Oh my goodness. And, and are we talking about recent or, or over the All time? Yeah. As far back as you'd like to go. Yeah. Well, I, I'm like you. I think it was because it was the, the slow white guy that I related a lot to Chris Mullen when I was growing <laughs> up. I, I was stoked that surrounded by all the incredible athletes that here was this dude who looked like he shouldn't have gotten out of high school basketball, who was still making waves for the Golden State Warriors. So, so growing up, it was definitely Mully for me. Um, but, but, as of late, Sean Livingston was my sure. guy um, because I, I'm always the type that relates to the person and I have no idea why, um, but I've never, I've always loved and appreciated the superstars like Steph and Clay, but I've always latched on to like the glue pieces. I think because I was that person on, on all the teams I played on again, back in high school, no big deal, but I always enjoyed um being the person who could just bring everything together and know when somebody needed a pep talk and when somebody needed some tough love. And also when you needed, you know, a big shot or something made, he could be there too. But, but most of the time it wasn't about you. You were just that key cog that kept the wheel going, even though you weren't the shiniest part of the wheel. So I just love everything that Sean Livingston had to overcome from being expected to be that Steph Curry guy when he came into the league and then going all over the place with the injury and then bouncing around. And then finally, after all of his hard work, uh, he landed in a spot that was the perfect spot for him. And I, I think that, you know, he doesn't win obviously without the Warriors, but the Warriors don't win without him. So the fact that he is back in the fold now with the Warriors, helping out in the community and also helping out with the team and the decisions, like I, I'm so excited about that. Um, least favorite Warrior. Ooh, that's that's that is a tough one for me. It's a nephew question. It's a complicated one. I mean, if, if it makes you feel any better, I I, mean, I I Mike Dunleavy, I had a complicated relationship with, but you know now he's in the front office, so I don't really want to say anything. Like Roni Cycli, I remember having you know at least internal words with. I wasn't a huge so, fan of his. I mean, oh my gosh, and it's hilarious you bring up Dunleavy because I had two like random personal interactions with him not in any like oh we're good friends but literally when we were kids i was back in new york because my mom is from connecticut and her family put us up at some random hotel and it was this the nba summer league was back in new york and i i don't i'm guessing this is now the las vegas summer league i still have no idea what it was i was very young but mike dunleavy senior was a coach on one of the teams so i'm literally in the hotel arcade playing rampage with <laughs> mike dunleavy jr <laughs> when i'm like eight or nine years old and i still remember that and he was a really nice kid despite the fact that he could have been entitled um and then when the warriors drafted him um i was still in berkeley and he used to always come get sandwiches at this one place that a lot of college students <laughs> would go to and I used to run into him all the time at the sandwich shop. And I and I multiple times thought about saying to him, like, can you play a little better? Can, can, <laughs> you, can you step up your game just a little bit? I refrained. I'm glad I did. But I always thought it was interesting. Like, hmm, this guy obviously, you know, may, maybe still feels like a young guy, wants to be in more of the college town than maybe Oakland or San Francisco. So he's just coming over here to Berkeley. A little, a little weird for me. Um, but, uh, man, one I hated the most. You know, it really pissed me off all those years ago when Tim Hardaway said all those anti-gay things, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, sure. <laughs> because he was somebody who I loved so much when I watched him play, right? And then when all of a sudden comes out and you're like, no, why'd you say that? So I hated him for a little while. Um, but, yeah, I'm hard-pressed to find a warrior that I really hate. I'll... I'll, I'll keep thinking as our conversation goes on because I know that this is an underwhelming answer. So no, no problem. It'll it'll come. Um, and just in reverse order, the Tim Hardaway thing, I remember really confusing me 
because before that, I don't remember hearing a whole lot of any off the court opinions from him. And then for literally for no reason at all, he comes out as this bigot. And I was such a huge fan at that point. I was like, I didn't really know what to do. You know, like, what do you do with this information? Um, And as random tidbits, I was always a lizard guy as far as Rampage is concerned. I'm not sure if you're a lizard person, (laughs) but that was me. And perhaps most importantly on the Mike Dunleavy thing, thank you so much for including, I wanted to tell him, Mike, would you mind playing a little bit better? Because as you were describing your history with him, I thought I'd just shithouse Mike D and you were going to be like, oh, and also we were childhood friends. So, Bram, I, you may want to know that. We were at my 16th birthday and we went to prom together. <laughs> He's actually on the other line right now. Would you like to meet him? Or? Just for the record, the answer is always Todd Fuller, too, if you ever need a name. He never did anything to us, though. That's not fair to Todd. That's but why only- I hate him. He never did anything to <laughs> us or for us. He just wasn't Kobe Bryant. You know what I mean? Like he, he couldn't have been Kobe Bryant. That was never his option. Oh, yeah, we talked about him a couple of days ago. It's funny you bring that up, Marcus, because he he was uh, one of Joe's, uh, the Butcher Boy Shasky, one of my co-hosts on the, on the morning show. He's one of his top three worst draft picks of the Warriors in the past 30 years, which is saying something because there's been a lot of draft picks. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, Kate, one more question about you. And I, I flirted with it in your intro, but didn't say it straight out. Um, you have blitched through gender sports media barriers throughout your career. You're the first woman to call an NFL game. You're the first woman to call a Pac-12 game. You were even a member to keep up a Cal theme of the Cal Mike men. You were the first person to, <laughs> to cross over that gender barrier. So while you do that, as you are serving as a pioneer, is it something that you can actually stop and look at and be proud of? Or you just kind of get caught up in the moment and you don't really take, a, take enough time to stop and look back and enjoy? Yeah, um, it's, it's mostly the latter, um, especially because I haven't done any of those things because I wanted to be the first to do them. I've just wanted to do them because I wanted to do them. Um, and it's kind of been shocking to me that a woman hadn't done it before me in any of those instances. Um, you know, I think probably in March when I got the opportunity to call that hockey game, um, that was the first time. And I, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older <laughs> or, or more confident in my abilities when it comes to play by play. But that was the first time standing in the United Center uh, as the national anthem is being sung and we're getting ready to drop the puck on Blues Blackhawks, which still is just ridiculous when I say that out loud right now. Um, But that was the first time that I thought, like, this is really cool. And I think that hopefully this will have a positive impact on a lot of people who are watching for whatever reason, whether it's young girls who want to get into sports broadcasting, whether it's young boys who never could have fathomed hearing a woman um, confidently and correctly call a hockey game you know um so so i think that was the first time um that it really set in but yeah that's that's been one of the blessings if there can be a blessing from a global pandemic um i'm i'm such a go 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 as i'm sure all of you are right like that's just how society is these days you don't really get any time to pause and slow down and appreciate anything you've done um but but the pandemic has allowed me to do that to to sit a little bit and say yeah, there's so many things you still want to accomplish. There's so many goals and uh, aspirations that I have for myself um, and for the sports broadcasting industry. But if I do take a moment to realize, like, I'm only 37 years old and we've already uh, hopefully moved things in the right direction for not just the gender, but hopefully for a lot of other people who are wanting to get into sports broadcasting. That's That's been one of the cool aspects of the last couple of months. At the risk of kissing your ass, I've got a five-year-old little girl 
representations matter. Okay, mm. thank you. I mean, I'm serious. You know, the having someone for her to listen to and aspire towards um, means a lot. Uh, and with that in tow, let me push us towards our main segment today. Um, it is called Coping with Clay, and here's the idea. So I, I already made the joke. Okay, this is kind of like meeting at a funeral. You and I are just starting to develop this relationship, but I'm already getting the feeling that you are the perfect person for this podcast. Here's why. Mm-hmm. You just talked about finding the silver linings during a global pandemic. Use that same <laughs> optimism, Kate. We need you. I am freaking out. We need optimism for sure. So we got to look at the state of the Warriors without Clay Thompson as we go forward. I've got some questions designed to help us do that. And uh, Kate, if you can be, you know, try to hedge towards optimism if you can. I heard you. You've got wallower and optimistic. Let's see if we can uh, engage some of the optimism. Let's do it. Yeah, and and this is towards all of us. Let me start here. So. Warriors without Clay, we know it. Achilles injury, probably out for the full, not probably, out for the full year. But the Warriors also have the TPE and the MLE, and there are a number of wings and players out there who Golden State may be able to get. In fact, Kate, I heard you talking with Bob Fitzgerald on the Morning Rose today about some of these options. Um, and here are some names I've done a little bit of research on. So I want to give you the names, and then I want to ask you, do any of these names speak to you? And if so, who and why? Here are some of the names I pulled. J.J. Redick, Eric Bledsoe, uh, Kelly Oubre, and Eric Gordon. Any mm. of those guys speak to you? What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think they all do. That's the problem, right? Um, I think I'm leaning more towards the, the second two guys you listed, Oubre um, yep. and Eric Gordon. Um, yep. I, I, I like Oubre for the fact that... Um, he can play a lot of defense in addition to, to being a great scorer, right? Because yep. I think that's that's the hardest thing with Clay is that you're not going to replace him with one guy. But I think you're going to try to get as close to all the things that make him such an important part of the Warriors with one guy as you can yep. and then fill in the other parts with a couple of other guys, hopefully. I like um, that. So, so I think Ubre and Eric Gordon are the guys who get the closest to that to me because they're not just scores. Like, I, I like J.J. Redick a lot, but I – he strikes me as more of a scorer than a defensive stopper, um, if, if for nothing else because of his size. So, so those are the guys that I'm I'm leaning towards. I'm looking at their contracts. I know Ubre's a little over 14. I know Eric Gordon's going to be more expensive, really close to that 17. Um, so then it gets to as you heard from Fitz this morning as well, right? Like they're up against the tax, and this is yeah. where it gets all confusing. And it's almost like three dollars like three times what the salary actually is so even though eric gordon is like 17 right now it could still be like 17 times three would be his cost with the tax and everything so is he worth like almost 50 million dollars those are decisions bob myers and joe lakeup and stuff are gonna have to have to make instead of me but but those are the two guys out, out of the four that you listed um that i'm leaning to more just because they can do more than just score what about I- you guys I like that too. Um, I mean, what I like is the idea of being analytical about it. What does Clay do? All right, there's no way we're going to get all of that back. So let's identify the skill sets and then have people come in and try to fill in those skill sets. Um, I, what I will add is I also kind of like Bledsoe, but it's more of because what's happened with him the last couple of years. You know, Bledsoe was a very shiny piece in Milwaukee until he had two flameouts in the playoffs. And now we know that Milwaukee has desperately moved on from him. They just brought in Drew Holiday. I would imagine... 
Bledsoe's in an fu state of mind right now, <laughs> you know, and he's he's yeah. a bulldog defender. He can get yeah. to the rim if they bring him in and give him an opportunity. You know, if if the idea behind it is, hey, Milwaukee gave up on you, the league gave up on you. We need somebody to come in and do exactly what you can do. I can see him bringing some fire. Um, so I wouldn't mind involving him. MT, did any of these guys uh, speak to you? Yeah, I would I would say Ubre the most as well for the same reasons that Kate listed. I, I think Wiggins has the ability to pick up some of the scoring that we're losing um mm-hmm. from Clay. Yeah. And at that point you just need the defense. So um Ubre's edge, he's got a little bit of that dog in him. I think you pair it pairs well nicely with Draymond and pulls a little bit more of that out of him as well. And um he's a little bit bigger. My worry if we get a Bledsoe is he's still short. So um, when you start putting in lineups with him and Steph on there, it's like some of the bigger guards and, and especially the two two guards out there will be able to to back Bledsoe down. I mean, he's super strong, so it wouldn't be easy, but I think they can shoot over him um, at a certain point. So I'd be worried about that and would lean more towards the taller players like Ubre. I just want to jump in and say we have some breaking news um, Woj has just let us know that it looks like we are using our traded player exception on Kelly Oubre. Oh, <laughs> there we go. You know, <laughs> I, I, before we explore this, I, I got to say, but I was talking about uh, Eric Bledsoe before. I don't really like him. I much prefer Oubre. I don't know if you guys are like that too, but Oubre seems to be the perfect fit. I, I'm going to make a quick call to Bob Myers and just tell him that. Just give me a second. We'll, uh, nice. Well, I mean, that's okay, so give me real world reaction, Kate. Let me go to you. Does this, can you celebrate this? Obviously I'm an Oracle. Um, and if anybody wants to know who I'm, who I'm betting as far as football games are concerned this weekend or tonight. Um, just call me after we hang up. No, that's, played. that's hilarious. Um, wow. Well, you know, it's funny because when, when Marcus, when MT was talking, I, I was thinking, yeah, maybe we do need a guy who plays, uh, you know, defense primarily. Because when I think of Clay Thompson, I, I think it's easy to get distracted by his scoring. But he even – even at all-star level Pete Clay over the last couple of years, there would still be games where he completely faded away, right? And and all he did was play some great defense. And, he, you know, 12, 14 points, but I think that is something that Andrew Wiggins can bring. So, wow, the fact that they now got, got Oubre, I, I'm very excited. I, I was not sure that this would happen, especially because it's, it felt like the name that we were hearing the most. Um, yep. So I, I just thought, oh, well, because we're hearing it so much, that's not going to happen. So... Man, good for the Golden State Warriors, and here we go. I know we talk about Joey Lightyears. we got to come up with a nickname for Bob Myers because he is a shark when it comes to things like this. That's true. Well, That's and true. It, it illustrates the mindset um, that Golden State has and that Dub Nation needs to immediately adopt. Mm-hmm. We move on. It is what it is. You know, we, we cannot grow an Achilles. We cannot go back 24 hours. So instead, we have to find a way to enjoy and move on with this year. Ubre is a hell of a way to do that. And one of the upsides, so the, the losing Clay also was losing a piece of Steph, right? Yeah. Steph is who he is because Clay helps him defensively on the other side. If Ubre comes and helps pick that up, then you know it's it's another advantage. So great signing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that going off of what you just said, Bram, about about Clay being a part of Steph, Steph is one of those guys who makes everybody around him better. Right. So I think the fact that we've been impressed by Ubre already, like I'm excited to see what he looks like now playing alongside Stephen Curry. Yep. Well, he, let me shift it. Um, MT, I'll throw it towards you. And then Kate, please follow up. So this question was going to be, 
if the offseason works exactly as we want it to, whomever it is they pick up. Now let's make it more specific. Ubre is here. Let's say they also use the MLE on somebody. Um, this team, this roster, with the understanding they're going to add somebody with the mid-level exception. Do you view them as a playoff team? Do you view them as a team is going back to the lottery? Or do you view them as a title contending team? Um, I think they're a playoff team, but they're a middling playoff team. I think they're a six, seven seed around here. The West is tough. It's tough. I mean, both LA teams will be back there just depending on how the Clippers kind of retool and how the chemistry jives, but, um, they'll be back there. You know, Houston's obviously gone and OKC will be out, but I still have Denver, Portland got a sneaky good pickup, um, and Covington, you know, Phoenix is good Dallas. So, I think when you start to look at the West, it's still just brutal. And we'll be playing teams likely more baseball style. So we'll be playing the Lakers and Clippers and Phoenix Suns um, multiple times, which is just always tough for us. So um, I think with Ubre and whoever we get with the MLE, we, we'll probably get around a 6-7 seed. Yeah, right there with hey, you. I, I- Oh, I was just about to say, I wish I hadn't started with stupid pragmatic MT. He's got me all depressed. You you do agree? I do agree, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, think about how bad the Warriors were last year. Yeah. We didn't get into the postseason. Um, if the Warriors can be a playoff team and be exciting and bring us joy again, night in, night out, like I'm in. Um, you know, we had uh, George Sedano of ESPN on the Morning Rose today, and he said, before the clay injury, I was thinking y'all were top four, right? The Clippers, the Lakers, and probably the Denver yeah. Nuggets, maybe the Phoenix Suns and the Warriors right there, kind of around four or five. Um, he feels like those are kind of the top echelon teams in the West, and I think all of us would agree. And then there's the next ones, right? Whether it's whether you put Phoenix in there, whether um, the Blazers are in there, you know. Um, and, and if that's what we get this year as Warriors fans after what we had to – sit through last year with like no stars um, and, and just having to try to find positives every game, then I'm okay with it. Like if yeah. we get Stephen Curry back and Draymond and we get to see this James Wiseman kid who everybody's so high on and he was the Warriors top pick maybe develop. And now how's Kelly Oubre fitting in? Is he maybe going to be a long-term guy or is he just a one-year fix? Like is Andrew Wiggins sticking around? Is he, is he fitting in? Can he find a way to, to fit with the culture and, and the kind of offense that Steve Kerr wants to run? So I'm actually excited about the fact that they could just be a playoff team and maybe more because we know once you get into the postseason, like I didn't see the Miami Heat running all the way <laughs> to be in the East uh, team playing. I, again, I know it was the bubble, but w- uh, enough of me, Bram. What you got? What do you think? I agree with you guys. Um, I think that we have to have a realistic approach and the West is bananas loaded next year. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of people. You mentioned Phoenix in the top four. If you told me Phoenix could be eight or three or six, any of those numbers – don't strain you know the world of possibilities. So <laughs> if, if it's going to be this loaded and we don't know where people like Dallas and Phoenix land, then yeah, you know, I, I, I no longer view them as a top four team in the West. I was hoping the Warriors are going to be a top four team in the league, not just mm-hmm. in the conference. Uh, but yeah, we've got to reset those expectations. I think five, six is probably realistic and let's shift it then. So we entered into yesterday, Kate, title contenders. That's what we wanted to have happen. Know, we we enter into the back end of this podcast, like we just said, a six seed. All right. So if we are fans and we can no longer hope for a title, what do we hope for next year? You know, like what, what are the things that we want to see go down? Well, I'm not ruling out a title. I'm just saying that they're not, they're not going to come into the season as title contenders. There's that optimism, Kate. Let's go. But I think you just mentioned it. Like, you wanted them to be top four in the, in the entire league. 
Well, they, they still might be. If I learned anything from, again, I know it was the bubble, but it was the best of the best right now. And a lot of teams were pretty even. Like we expected after Dragic went down, the Lakers to just steamroll the Miami Heat, right? We expected them to sweep. Oh, this is going to be an awful finals. And the Heat with Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, like managed to put up a fight. (laughs) So I think the league is actually more balanced than it has been in a while. So the fact that they're playing a 72-game season as opposed to 82, and let's be honest, I'm sure a handful of games are going to get canceled, whether it's because of travel trouble or because of COVID or whatever. So I think this could be a wild, super competitive, really fun you know, one week the Lakers are the top team in the West, and then the next week they're the number six seed because they lost two games and somebody on the team got injured. Um, so I think it could be, you know, we talk about the wild, wild West, but it could be the wild, wild everything this year, especially especially if Harden gets moved, if Westbrook gets moved, like are the Celtics holding on to Gordon Hayward or Marcus Smart? Like what's happening? It just seems like teams that a couple years ago, I thought the Celtics were going to be the team in the East for years to come. And now I don't know what's happening with them. So I think there's a lot to be excited about and look forward to. Silver linings. I love it. Um, so much so that I'm going to whisk us away to our final topic. It is only slightly basketball related, but <laughs> I, again, I think you are the person uh, perfectly suited for it. So the topic itself is called basketball court. Kind of a head fake since I just said it wasn't basketball related. Really, Kate, every now and again, I find myself in remarkably awkward social situations <laughs> and I need someone to sit as a judge and tell me who was right in a specific basketball. Okay. All right. So I am putting you up on the bench as the honorable Kate Scott. Let me give you the facts. You give me the the decision. So last night, in addition to losing Clay, in addition to not being able to enjoy the draft, I got into like a pseudo fight with a friend, right? So I had a friend come by. To be fair, we were in the backyard, socially distanced, masks, the whole nine yards, no COVID concerns. But my friend brought a 12 pack with him. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then under, you know, I, I asked him to do it. And we enjoyed a few of the beers. In fact, we drank about eight of them, leaving four <laughs> beers. So he's on his way out and he grabs the last four beers, Kate, puts them in his bag and he leaves. And like, I like, I look, it was his money. I understand he came to my house, but I gave him crap about it. That feels unacceptable. Unacceptable. Loose beers need to be kept there. Maybe if it was a six pack and we didn't drink any of them, he could bring it home. Maybe it was like a bottle of something. Like if he brought some scotch, he could bring it home. But loose beers? No, absolutely not. They should have stayed there. As the judge, oh, rule in on this. Well, you know how how should he have handled that? Well, I think that speaks to how much he cherishes your friendship because <laughs> that is a move that I would not pull with anyone but my dearest of friends, right? Because it is such a social faux pas. If it was anybody who I was like trying to impress or somebody who I didn't know that well, I would definitely leave the beer, beers there, even though I'm thinking to myself man, those are four beers that could come home with me and I could really enjoy over the next few days. I, this, one of my best friends, one night I brought over a half open bottle of white wine to her house. And I was, I was wondering about the same thing. Like, is this okay? And as soon as I walked in and showed it to her, she's like, you have no idea how much this means to me. The fact that you trust me enough to bring over a half open bottle of white wine to my house. That, that just proves to me how much you love me, that, that I'm not that important. So I understand societally, he didn't do the right thing. You should always leave alcohol you bring over to your friend's house at your friend's house. But I, I think you should take it as a sign of affection from your friends that, that they trust you so much and love you so much that they knew that you were gonna be pissed at them and bring it on your podcast, but also 
probably invite them back over in a few weeks. I am. I cannot tell you how impressed I am that you're able to pull out like an upside. I'm really serious. Like, like for me, it could have been my best friend or, you know, Donald f-ing Trump. I still would have left the beers there. How much I hate them or like them, it just doesn't mean anything. Uh, Maxime, Marcus, where are you guys on this? There's no question the beer should be left, right? Well, yeah, but I'm pretty blown away. So first of all, Kate, I think you're a great influence on this podcast in general, on Bram specifically, <laughs> because I'm right there with Bram. I'm very impressed. I was not expecting such a nuanced answer that like brings An so upside. much love and friendship. Yeah, tri- the silver lining and everything. I'm all for it. So I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful sign of friendship, Bram. That's wonderful. Exactly. Um, same way. I'm just blown away. I just, I feel for the friend now. I'm kind of on his side. I was like, okay. what a great guy that guy is. Yeah. Well, I happen to know that the friend listens. And in case you are listening to this, I have not forgiven you. I do not do this as a compliment. You need to know that immediately. And if you'd like it to be viewed as a compliment, you're going to need to start a relationship with Kate Scott. Kate, you are awesome. I am positive. I'm not the only person thinking it. For everyone out there who needs far more Kate Scott in their life, where can they turn? Uh, well, you can wake up too early in the morning right now, especially during the pandemic, uh, and listen to 95.7 The Game. Uh, Bonte and Joe and myself are on the morning roast from 6 to 10 a.m. every day, or you can listen on radio.com or the radio.com app, or we're on Twitch streaming live. Like, who wants to see my face at 6 in the morning? My wife doesn't even want to see my face at 6 in the morning, but <laughs> apparently somebody does. Um, and we're still working out the kinks. Launching a show in the midst of a pandemic has had a number of difficulties. Um, so we appreciate every, everybody giving us a little bit of leeway as we find our footing. But but yeah, that's the main spot. And, and at Kate T. Scott on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and look forward to chatting with you all if, if we're not already chatting. Uh, you know where to find us. Good job, bad job, any job. Let us know uh, on our Twitter account at Warriors Huddle or on our remarkably unprofessional Gmail account, Huddle at gmail.com. Or if you're just looking for somebody who will never forgive you if you steal his beer, you can reach out there as well. With that in mind, go Ubre, go Warriors. <laughs> It'll be all right. We're going to land on our feet and uh, hopefully we'll see you real soon. Good, good. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.